0: business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellett. We are looking at records on Wall Street today. Quarterly numbers out of Microsoft and Morgan Stanley spurring optimism that corporate earnings can support further gains. Right now we have got the S&P 500 index climbing 11 to 2174. That is a gain of five-tenths of one percent. We are brought to you by Sector spider etfs why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector visit sectorSPDRs.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF gold down 14 dollars the ounce to 1318 a drop there of 1.1 percent and crude oil higher now by seven tenths of one percent 44.94 for a barrel of west texas intermediate crude i'm charlie pellet and that's a bloomberg business flash you're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Eight billion dollars. A hedge fund. Lawyers. Courts. Not guilty, please. Yes, this is the story of Visium, and here to tell it is Katja Porsikansky, hedge fund reporter for Bloomberg News, and Katja joins me in the studio. Katja, for people that have not been following the saga of Visium asset management, why don't you just uh, start off by telling us about this eight billion dollar, one $1.8 billion hedge fund and what has gone so spectacularly wrong?
2: Thanks very much for having me. Um, well, in the hedge fund community, at least in this this summer, this has been kind of one of the biggest scandals of the summer because, I mean, it involves a lot of drama. They in March, uh, they told investors that they were being investigated for two different things. Um, and later on, it w- was revealed kind of the specifics of what they were being investigated for when, uh, one employee, a very high ranking employee, uh, Avisium. at v- Visium, um, one of the star money managers. He managed one of the biggest books at Visium. Uh, he was indicted for insider trading and two other former employees who worked on the credit portfolio, uh, were, one was indicted in, uh, well, now both of them have been indicted for, uh, one for, for insider trading and mismarking the bonds in the fund and the other one for, just for mismarking the bonds in the fund, which inflates the value of the portfolio. And then shortly after the charges were, um, were made public, uh, the Visium announced it's, it was closing, uh, four of its he- hedge funds. And basically it was sh- all but shutting, shutting down. And, and then a couple days later, uh, Sanjay Valvani uh, committed suicide. So it, it has been a very dramatic unfolding of events. Um, and just in kind of reporting that out, uh, you know, talking to lots and lots of people who were either invested in the funds over time or worked there, uh, it appeared that there were several kind of red flags that we thought merited some reporting on. Um, this is a fund that was started in 2005 by sure. Jacob Gottlieb. by Jacob Gottlieb and, and several of his former, uh, colleagues from, uh, Ballyasny. They managed a healthcare portfolio, um, at Ballyasny. They spun that out. They formed Physium. And at first it was just supposed to be, it was just a, a healthcare fund. And then he had, uh, aspirations to grow that, um, much bigger. And he created this, uh, multi-manager platform, uh, multi-strategy fund, uh, called Visium Global, which, and that, that fund is being bought by, or at least they're in talks to buy be bought by alliance bernstein so that one will survive um but the the other ones have all been are all being liquidated uh and and yeah it's, it grew very large very quickly and it's you know there's questions as to did you know did they keep up with the growth were they behaving um as they should have been when they were an eight billion dollar fund i mean it's one thing when you're a small shop and it's a couple guys. Matt Levine had a had a piece today that uh, talked kind of like how should you be behaving when you're a really big fund versus a really small fund. And if it's a couple of guys in a room and you're all sitting around a desk and you're you know you know what's going on because it's right in front of you, that's one thing. But it's another thing when you balloon to be such a. a big, big fund, and they, I mean, Jake had his brother as chief compliance officer. Jacob Gottlieb. Jacob Gottlieb had his brother as chief chief compliance officer until 2009, and they had grown is quite that a, a bit. Is,
0: conf- is that considered a conflict of interest?
2: certainly raises uh, eyebrows. It, you know, if you have to have this person sign off on everything, and he's your brother, uh, again, it's one thing if everybody's just sitting around a table, it's another thing if you're trying to show that you're a really established organization to be taken seriously. Um, were more family members involved in visium Sh- sure one of the one of the People who has been charged. Um, Stéphane Lumiere is Jacob Gottlieb's um, brother-in-law. Well, the, he's the brother of um, Gottlieb's uh, estranged wife. They're going through divorce proceedings. And and Jacob Gottlieb's father was and Mark's father was uh, even had like an office on on the premises. The first few years, uh, he's an accountant. And I mean, not, there's nothing sketchy implied here. But just basically, he was there too. It's kind of it started as this kind of a family shop and grew and the question is did they you know did they really grow in their regulatory aspect as they should have been um so do they have the
0: right controls in right. place in order to manage this scale of of operation.
2: Sure, sure. And certainly with this mismarking scheme, um, you know, there's a question there as to you know, did they really know what they were doing when it came to to valuing bonds? Um, when it, you know, in in the back office or wherever, uh this is, you know, they they overrode um prices 284 times in their favor, which is a lot. Uh so there's a lot of red flags and, and even in the SEC, you know, buried in, in the SEC filing, they say, uh, you know, th- that the procedures of the institution failed to prevent a lot of this wrongdoing.
0: I have a feeling this is a continuing story, and we will look to you to cover it for us. Thank you very much, uh, Katja head fund hedge fund reporter uh, for uh, Bloomberg News, uh, speaking about Visium Asset Management. Thank you. All right, now let's turn our attention to Cleveland and the Republican National Convention. Sahil Kapoor, White House correspondent for Bloomberg News, is there and can tell us about... What's going on? Sahil, thanks very much for being with us. I wonder if you could tell us what the reaction was, if any, uh, to the latest news having to do with a speech writer, a writer who worked for the or Works for the Trump Organization named Meredith McIver. and uh, she submitted her resignation that was not accepted by the Trump Organization for uh, the uh, lifted passages uh, for Melania Trump's speech the other night.
1: Right. So uh, this employee of the Trump organization, Meredith McIver, submitted her resignation. She took responsibility essentially for the lifted passage, uh, the lifted passages in uh, Melania Trump's speech that bore a lot of resemblance to the 2008 speech that Michelle Obama gave uh, in, in a similar context. And as you pointed out, the Trump campaign did not accept. They um, So, you know, I, I think what the Trump campaign was doing was at least assigning responsibility for the, the error that happened. They've gotten a lot of criticism about this over the last day and a half since it happened. It seemed to be a pretty clear-cut case of plagiarism, given that there are extensive passages from Michelle Obama's speech that were, um, you know, that were used in Melania's speech. So this is their attempt to do damage control. At the same time, on a, on a purely political level, it's it's unlikely that this is going to turn voters away from Donald Trump. What the campaign is trying to do is end the the element of distraction, and it's pretty new. We don't know exactly how it's going to play, um, you know. So w- we'll see how it pans out. Paul
0: Manafort, who is Trump's campaign chairman, said that the billionaire who said that Trump has changed the face of the Republican Party and promised an all-Trump
1: convention. Is that really taking place? Here. yesterday Trump officially won the Republican nomination and it's a it's a very significant moment for the Republican party it marks the fact that the nativist nationalist wing of the party has essentially taken control from from the uh, you know the traditional limited government wing of the party and to that to that extent it is trump's party now Trump represents this nationalist nativist faction that's always been there but has not you know been in control at the at the upper echelons of the party not had a nominee quite like this. So, you know, to that extent, it is Trump's party. And and also notable, there are six people at this convention altogether, all four days of it, named Trump. So, you know, it's it's Trump's convention in more ways than one.
0: House Speaker Paul Ryan, what was the reaction to his speech? Because he has been a reluctant supporter of Donald Trump.
1: Right. Paul Ryan ran through the reasons that, you know, traditional Republicans, uh, movement conservatives and, and most elected officials in the party um, are Republicans. He spoke of limited government. He spoke of an inclusive, welcoming party that, you know, that, you know, where, where anyone that wants anyone to succeed, regardless of uh, race, gender and so forth. It's a little different from Trump's message. Right, because Trump is not playing to those traditional sentiments. He's making some some fairly overt racial appeals, and he's been criticized as a, as a you know very divisive figure. And unlike Paul Ryan, who is who represents a, a part of the a segment of the party that is uh, pro immigration, that is pro trade, um, that, that wants to cut entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare, Trump is the exact opposite on all those fronts. Trump is an anti immigration. He's anti trade, and he likes these social programs. So there's a lot of tension there, and I, and I think um, you know it 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 sort of seeped through in, in an element of discomfort that people saw in Paul Ryan's speech.
0: Just uh, quickly, uh, Sawhill, what should we look for in tonight's Republican National Convention?
1: Keep an eye on Mike Pence. This is a vice presidential nominee introducing himself to the country. He's not very well known. He's going to try to communicate with segments of the Republican-based movement conservatives and evangelicals who have been skeptical of Trump.
0: Thank you very much. Sahil Kapoor, White House correspondent for Bloomberg News, reporting from Cleveland, site of the Republican National Convention, which continues today and tomorrow. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox, and this is Bloomberg.